Broadcasting live from the North Fulton Business Radio X studio, it's time for To Your Health with Dr. Jim Morrow. To Your Health is brought to you by Morrow Family Medicine, an award-winning primary care practice, which brings the care back to health care. Hello and welcome to To Your Health. I am Dr. Jim Morrow, and I appreciate very much you joining us today and listening to what I have to talk about. I'm going to talk about something that I talked about a couple of years ago, and it's something that comes up every year. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about allergies. Uh, typically, I've been starting the podcast every time with uh, a COVID update, but we are s- essentially in what I believe is the eye of the hurricane as far as COVID goes. So I don't really think we're we're having much uh, COVID activity right now, which is really good. Things are are going well. People are getting vaccinated in pretty decent numbers, and I'm happy about that. And if you're not vaccinated, you should be. So there's my COVID update for today. So we're going to talk about allergies, which in the state of Georgia is a huge topic this time of year. You go outside and your car is a different color from what it was when you went to work that morning. And it's it's a problem because it affects so very many people and it affects people in very different ways. Some people don't have it too badly and some people have it horrible and they even get headaches with it or maybe sinus infections and they miss time from work and so forth. So if you can listen to this and hopefully get some information that might help you not have such a bad time with allergies, that would be, that'd be great. And that'd be successful in my opinion. So when you hear people talk about having allergies, Usually what they mean is they have allergic rhinitis or some sort of upper respiratory symptoms like runny nose, watery eyes, itching eyes, itchy nose, uh, irritation and fullness in the ears, sneezing, that kind of thing. I think sneezing is probably one of the most common symptoms. It certainly is for me, and I'm a terrible allergy patient. So if you think about, if you want to know about allergic rhinitis, the diagnosis of allergic rhinitis is made when the history and the physical findings are consistent with an allergic cause. You have clear runny nose, you have pale nasal mucosa, you have red and sometimes watery eyes, and you might have nasal congestion, itchy nose, and again, sneezing. And people who have allergy symptoms like this should be assessed for the presence of other things like asthma and atopic dermatitis or eczema, uh, sleep disordered breathing, and that might be something like sleep apnea that could be due to the congestion. They might have conjunctivitis. They might have actual sinus infections or ear infections. And testing, very specific testing, either using blood or skin, should be done for people uh, with a clinical diagnosis of allergic rhinitis when they don't respond to empiric treatment, just routine everyday treatment, or when the diagnosis is not certain or if you're trying to determine the actual specific thing that they might be allergic to. What you don't need if you have allergies is sinus x-rays. So if you go somewhere and you say, I'm having allergies, and they say, well, let's shoot an x-ray, don't do that. Just don't let them do it. Tell them, no, I don't want an x-ray because you don't need an x-ray. It's not going to add anything to the diagnosis or treatment or the, the natural history of your episode of allergic rhinitis. Intranasal steroids, things like Flonase, Nasacort, things you can get over the counter, should, are, are prescribed typically with people whose symptoms affect their quality of life. And, and usually it's people that have pretty severe symptoms. 
Uh, people don't usually want to spray something up their nose if they're not in a good bit of discomfort. Um, but sometimes they will, and they work okay for some people. Now, everybody knows that I'm old. I'll be 68 next month. And when I was in medical school, again, I said earlier, I'm a terrible allergy patient, and I have suffered relentlessly with allergies many times and for many years. But when I was in medical school, I was doing an, an ear, nose, and throat rotation with a doctor who also did some allergy work. And on this particular day, it was in the spring, and I was just miserable. I was absolutely a liquid mess. My nose was running. I was sneezing. I had a handkerchief in my back pocket that was soaked. It was just miserable. And he finally took me in his office midway through the day, and he said, what in the world is wrong with you? I said, well, I said, I've got terrible allergies. So he said, this was 1980, 1980. And uh, he said, well, here, do this. I want you to take this asthma inhaler. Most people have seen the little asthma inhalers people use periodically, a little puffer, they call them. He said, take this asthma inhaler, which was called Beclavent. He said, go to the store and buy a bottle of Afrin nasal spray. And that surprised me because I knew they didn't like Afrin nasal spray. He said, take the stopper out of the Afrin and dump it out in the sink. Wash the bottle out. Cut the bottle in half. Take the top half of that bottle, put it over this asthma inhaler, put it in your nose and pump it. And I did and, and it helped, but what I didn't know was that the Beclavent people were about to come out with an inhaled nasal steroid, the very first one ever called Beconase. And he was apparently aware of that and ahead of the game and had me putting asthma medicine up my nose, which did help my allergies. So that was my first experience with inhaled nasal steroids. And it felt like man's first experience with inhaled nasal steroids because it was so bizarre and such an unusual way to, to distribute medication, but it did help. And so they do. And there are the newer antihistamines, what's called second generation antihistamines, things after Benadryl and stuff like that, that are very well tolerated and very effective for people who have allergies, allergic rhinitis, and main complaints are sneezing and itching. They can help tremendously. This is Claritin, Zyrtec, Allegra primarily, and some other metabolites of those that are out there. But those are the ones that are used most commonly now, and all of those are over the counter, and some of the nasal sprays are over the counter, so you don't even have to go to the doctor to get these things and start using them. So if you have, uh, if you have perennial rhinitis, which is not a seasonal allergic thing, but just 12 months of the year, you always are dealing with this. Or if you do have seasonal, or if you have what's called episodic rhinitis, which is where it just hits you willy-nilly, it just sometimes it may or sometimes it's not, then there are intranasal antihistamines that are very effective. But I'll tell you that if you use these, and the brand name that first came out of these was Astelin, and I'll tell you that if you ever use these, don't sniff them. And I'll tell you too, what I tell everybody, if you sniff it, you won't sniff it, but once because it is the nastiest tasting spray that there's ever been. These things are horrible and you just don't want to sniff them. And plus, if you sniff, you remove it from the nose and it's not going to work. So you just want to spray it in those and let it be maybe squeeze your nose a little bit or something to keep you from sniffing it. But boy, if you sniff it, you'll regret it because it is horrible. 
And then a medicine came out called Singulaire. Montelukast is the generic name of that. And it's a, a medicine that blocks a receptor, uh, leukotriene receptor is called, in your respiratory tract. And these are good for some people. They're especially good for people with asthma. They really don't help a whole lot with allergies, but some people will be offered them and you can try them. But honestly, they're, they're not good, especially as an initial therapy. The best initial therapy is one of these newer generation antihistamines or the nasal steroids. Some people have to do combinations. Some people will use an inhaled steroid and an inhaled antihistamine, and there's a new spray that actually has both in one. So you don't have to worry with two different things and they can work pretty well. But I'll tell you, if you get results from one of the new antihistamines, that is far and away the easier, better way for you to go. And I'll tell you, my preference is to use Claritin and in all of these medicines, you don't want the D version, Claritin D, Zyrtec D, Allegra D. You don't want anything with a D on the end of it because it doesn't help with allergies and it can run your heart rate up, make you irritable. And you're probably already irritable because you have horrible allergies you can't deal with. But if you're using any of those, I don't think Claritin is the better medicine. But the trick is you have to take two Claritin at a time, not just one. One's going to be a little bit weak. Two works really, really well. It actually gives you some decongestant-like effect by taking 20 milligrams, two pills. But it, it won't hype you up like the decongestants can, and it's very, very good. The dose in Europe's always been two pills. The dose here has always been one, and one's just kind of weak. But two is very effective, and I think it's the best one. Uh, they don't typically make you sleepy, any of those three, Claritin, Zyrtec, or Allegra, but Zyrtec might. So if you do end up taking Zyrtec, you want to be careful. You want to not take it um, at, in the morning because it might make you sleepy, and if it does, that's obviously a problem. Again, when I was in medical school, this is my first year, 1978 medical school. Again, allergies, horrible. And the medicines that were available at the time were very sedating. And I took one one morning because I was miserable and went to sleep in the middle of gross anatomy class and woke up when the professor slammed his big wooden pointer right down on top of my desk. And I shot straight up and my heart rate was suddenly 120. And he was using it as a great example of how your adrenaline system works in your body. And man, mine was working that morning because I was, I was out like a light and my allergies were better, but man, I was sound asleep. So be careful what you take, be careful what you take and drive and be smart about what you're doing. So in order to know if what you're dealing with is allergies, sometimes, you know, because between the first of April and the end of May, you suffer mightily every single year and the rest of the year you're okay. So you can pr pretty much bet that what you're dealing with is allergies, but sometimes you need to know what it is you're allergic to and some other details. So if you look at types of allergies, there's environmental, there's foods, there's drug allergies, and there's contact allergies. And about 10 to probably 30% of people around the globe have some sort of allergy and these are, again, people that have the typical respiratory symptoms. But if you do allergy and immunologic testing, it can help to clarify the diagnosis and help to guide your treatment. So the allergens suspected in all of allergies are diagnosed or identified, rather, either through an antibody or skin testing, so a blood test or skin test. And if you have inhaled allergies, like we're talking about, most of what people call hay fever, then the 
skin testing is by far the most preferred and the most valuable. In people that have food allergies, it's really in a, a process of elimination and challenge. So if you think you're allergic to um, eggs, then you go a period of time, 10, 14 days, and have no eggs, nothing with eggs in them. And then you sit down and you eat three, four, five eggs. And you challenge yourself and see what happens. And if you develop allergy symptoms pretty severely than that, then you can make the, the assumption that you are, in fact, allergic to eggs. People who have an anaphylactic reaction to an insect sting, especially, need to undergo very specific testing to be sure what they're allergic to and to see if they might do desensitization uh, shots, basically, for that bee or insect or whatever it might be, so that if they're stung again, they don't have a bad outcome. And I talked about anaphylaxis uh, a few episodes ago because I had my own episode of anaphylaxis. And I can tell you, if you can avoid that, that's something you want to avoid. People talk about being allergic to penicillin. I mentioned drug allergies, and this is one of the most common ones. And people often think that they're allergic to penicillin, and really, in fact, they're not. They think they're allergic to penicillin because they've been told their whole life they were. And a lot of times, especially if it's people my age, it's because they went to the doctor as a young person, and they got a shot, and they passed out. And people would say they're allergic to it. Well, they're not. People pass out all the time when they get shots. But if you have a true allergy with a rash and the whole thing, then with penicillin especially, you can do skin testing so that if you're in a situation where penicillin is the drug for you to take to get rid of a problem that's pretty significant, then you can find a way to do that. You can, again, desensitize, and you know you're allergic to it, and you, you work around that, but you can know specifically that it is penicillin that you're allergic to. And by the way, just so you know, if you're allergic to amoxicillin, you're allergic to penicillin. If you're allergic to anything that ends in psyllin, you're allergic to penicillin. So your best thing to do is when you go to the doctor and they ask you, are you allergic to anything? If you've reacted to carbamicillin in the past, then you want to tell me you're allergic to penicillin. That just eliminates everything. Food allergies are incredibly common today, whereas in the past they were not so common. But people with uh, food allergies are commonly seen in clinical practice. And up to 15% of parents believe their, pay, their children have food allergies. And these allergies have actually been confirmed in only 1% to 3% of people in America. But a lot of people think they're allergic to it. And again, most of that's more of an intolerance than anything. Or it might even be a food dislike. It might be something like that and other things that might mimic a food allergy. It's not necessarily an allergy. The most common foods that produce allergy symptoms are milk, eggs, seafood, peanuts, and tree nuts. And most people have heard of people reacting to shrimp and shellfish and that kind of thing, and certainly nuts. Milk and eggs, to have a true allergic reaction, is a little bit less common, but it does certainly happen. And all those skin testing and blood tests might help in the evaluation of suspected food allergies. They really shouldn't be performed unless the history gives a specific food allergen to test against. You just can't test against everything, really. 
if you do have a test done, a blood test done, and you, it says that you're allergic to any food, then you should do a confirmatory challenge test, like I mentioned earlier, to be sure that that's the food. Now, this is not true if you have a severe allergic reaction to something. If you have anaphylaxis to nuts, don't do this, please. If you have a bad reaction, don't do this. But if you have runny nose and congestion and watery eyes when you eat something, then feel free. Of the children that have milk and egg allergies, more than 70% of them will outgrow these allergies by the time they're in early adolescence, early teen years, probably. So it's, it's not a lifelong thing for milk and egg allergies, but if you have a nut allergy, you're probably going to be allergic to nuts your entire life. That's not something that seems to, to go away. Now, the most serious reaction, of course, like I mentioned, is anaphylaxis. And if you have any sort of allergy to something that you could be accidentally exposed to, bee stings, foods, then you should carry an EpiPen with you. Or if you're younger, your parents should carry an EpiPen. Keep one in mama's pocketbook, keep one in the glove box of the car, keep one somewhere so that you'll have access to an EpiPen, which has adrenaline or, an epi or epinephrine in it, so that you can stop an allergic reaction if it starts to happen, because that's the first thing you should do. And I'll tell you right now, if you ever have to use an EpiPen, the next thing you do is call 911. You stab that thing in somebody's thigh and you call 911 immediately. Now, some people have environmental allergies that actually cross-react with food. So they might have a grass allergy, and they might not be able to eat kiwi or tomatoes. They might have ragweed in the fall, or ragweed allergy, and they can't eat bananas or melons and so forth. So just because one thing gives you a symptom doesn't mean that it's that particular thing that you're allergic to. It could be a cross-reaction. And we see a fair amount of that um, in, in people who have usually milder symptoms. It's not usually people that have the worst symptoms. And then if you think about rhinitis, and rhinitis is basically inflammation of the nasal passage, so you have runny nose, sneezing, that kind of thing, congestion, you might have non-allergic rhinitis. And chronic non-allergic rhinitis encompasses a group of different subtypes with and without allergic or infectious etiologies. Although the chronic non-allergic rhinitis represents about 25% of people with rhinitis symptoms, and it impacts 20 to 30 million people in the United States. And this might be irritants. This might be something, again, that's not an allergy. It might just be an irritant. It might be something that they just don't tolerate well, smelling it, breathing it, that kind of thing, but not necessarily a true allergies. And these people, you typically show, they show no evidence of allergic blood work or triggers to particular environmental factors. And so they're labeled as non-allergic. And they might, they might have straight-up non-allergic runny nose, might just have a runny nose, just it drips, that's it. I see an awful lot of people who are up in age, 
kind of like myself, maybe a little more, but certainly the 80 year old with just a runny nose, they, it drives people crazy. And so many people, when they get older, just have a runny nose. And I mentioned earlier, the inhaled, uh, nasal medications. I mentioned the steroids and the antihistamines. And there's another one that's just a drying agent that works extremely well in this it's called atrovent. And it's, it's just extremely good for just drying up that runny nose. And I mean, it'll stop it. It'll stop it cold um, to the point that it turns that stuff to concrete. Sometimes you have to be careful how much of it you use, but it really can't help. And that's something that is a real problem for people. It's just a nuisance. Nobody ever died from a runny nose, but I'm telling you, it'll make you miserable. And if you can learn your triggers, stay away from them. That's, that's one of the most important things. If you, if you know you're allergic to X, Y, or Z, then do everything you can to avoid that. Now, if you're allergic to tree pollen, and right now it's tree pollen season in Atlanta and Georgia, if you can avoid that, then you're not going to do it in Atlanta. You're going to have to go somewhere else to do that. But if you have something you can avoid, do it. And in Georgia, we are cursed, I guess you'd say, by having just about every part of the year is a season of some sort. Right now it is tree season. Right after that's grass season and it's flowering plant season. Then it's ragweed season. Then it's flu season. Then it's mold and mildew season. At some time in there is COVID seasons whenever. It's just always something. So if you have respiratory symptoms and you deal with that kind of thing a good bit, I'm telling you, it can just make you miserable. You need to get some help. Start with the pills like Claritin. Take two of those a day. If that doesn't work, try some of the Flonase or Nasacort, some of the inhaled steroids. If that doesn't work, see your physician, maybe get some inhaled antihistamines. Do something so that you can get some relief because there's a lot of things out there you can do and you don't have to just be miserable like I was back in medical school. My producer, John Ray, is off on assignment this week, so we're not going to have questions but I appreciate you listening every single time. I appreciate if you would tell your friends and family about the podcast. And if you have suggestions for topics, we'd love to have those. You can email those to toyourhealthmd at gmail.com. So for now, that is to your health. <laughs>